And so, you know, just before we receive our offering this morning, I thought it would be uh, right for us to just uh, observe a, a moment of silence together for officers Eric Jering and Anthony Morelli, who lost their lives in Westerville yesterday. Would you stand with me for that, please? Heavenly Father, we bow before you in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, and we come to you um, and calling out to you, Father, for, for the families of these two officers, Lord. We pray, Lord, your, your blessing on them, Lord, however you can get to their hearts, for their fellow officers, their friends, Lord, who are just so so completely saddened by this tragic, tragic thing that happened, and we pray for them. We pray for our city, Lord. We pray for the men and women who do this for us, and we pray your protection on them, Lord. We pray for the officers who are part of this fellowship, Lord, who are just a happy part of this fellowship and they go and they do their job day after day after day and we pray your protection on them and your your encouragement and blessing and assurance on their families. But just now as we we just take a moment to recognize the depth of really evil that has happened in our culture. We pray the power of the Lord to come upon us, Lord, so that we could be men and women of, of change, men and women of sensibilities, men and women who, who in our spheres of influence, Lord, can, can just bring about sanity into what has just become insane. We depend on you for this, Lord, and we sign up for it. We ask you to use us in these ways. Lord, I, I thank you for this church. I thank you for the safety that you have always provided for us as we've gathered together. And we depend on you for that. And Father, now as we, we just continue our worship of you and our thoughts and consideration of you this morning, we just pray that your Holy Spirit will be here to receive this offering and direct it for the greatest possible glory here and around the world, and uh, that you would bless us with the very thing that we need as we draw near to you today, in the name of Jesus, amen. Well, good morning again. I uh, just want to mention that um, the high school youth will be starting to meet this afternoon at 4 o'clock. We're moving the time to 4 o'clock. Uh, in part to make way for me to continue to be involved with them on a weekly basis just because 6 o'clock is fraught with, um, you know, scheduling conflict. So, hey, uh, this afternoon, you guys, high school folks, uh, we're going to start a four-part series called The True You, where we're going to be looking at the Bible into your identity. And I know what the world's telling you about who you are. I want to show you what the Bible tells you about who you are, okay? So I hope you'll come and, and be a part of that. We live in a lot of if-then conditional situations in our lives, don't we? If something happens, then that will happen. If that doesn't happen, then that won't happen. If-then. 
Correct. And for example, if you go to work, you will get a paycheck every other Friday or whatever, right? If you don't, then you won't, right? You say, well, that doesn't seem fair. Well, of course it's fair. That's the condition that you signed up for. That's what you agreed to. If, then. If you snowboard down the hill faster than anybody else, you get the first American gold medal, right? Woo, 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 yep. If you don't, then you don't, right? Am I right so far? If, if you are from Columbus, Ohio, then apparently you have the right to abuse anybody from Michigan. Is that correct? Is that correct? If, uh-huh, I understand that. Let me give you another one. If Karen and I go to the Blue Jackets hockey game when they're playing the New Jersey Devils, they win 6-1, to one, right? So uh, if, you're a, if you're a Blue Jackets fan and you want to see them win, just give us tickets, all right? All right. The Bible also has a lot of if-then stuff in it, doesn't it? If, then. And if you don't, then you won't. Now, the love of God for us is unconditional, correct? God loves us unconditionally. There's no if then to the love of God. He loves us. When the Bible says in that very familiar John 3:16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, there's no if then. He gave his only son to the people that he knew would respond to him, and to the people that he knew would not respond to them, to him. There's no if then in the love of God. But God's promises, by contrast, are often very conditional, aren't they? If, then. We see this again and again. Because God's promises are part of the way that he leads us out of death and into life. I mean, who here wants life? Yes? Of course you do. That's why you're here. And God's promises are his way of leading us out of death into life. So that if we respond to the conditions of his promise, then we move out of death and into life. And if we refuse or reject the conditions of God, then we stay in death. That's pretty much how it rolls, correct? Well, in the case of the Israelites, I want to show you something, a very fascinating, in Exodus chapter 16, I want to show you a fascinating account of the if-then. Now, a little context. The Israelites, they're just out of Egypt. They're just out of Egyptian slavery. There's hundreds of thousands of them wandering around together in the wilderness under the direction of Moses, poor, poor Moses, right? And he's out there, and every now and then, like every day, the Israelites begin to complain, correct? I can't imagine this situation. Exodus chapter 16. The whole Israelite community set out from Elam and came to the desert of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month after they had come out of Egypt. In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. And the Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you have brought us out into the desert to starve this entire assembly to death. How quickly they forgot, right, what it was like in Egypt. How quickly they just completely forgot 
what it was really like in Egypt. And then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you, and the people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. There's the condition, correct? In this way, I will test them and see whether they will follow my instructions. On the sixth day, they are to prepare what they bring in, and that is to be twice as much as they gather on the other days. Why is that? Because of the Sabbath, right. So they wouldn't have to go out on the Sabbath and do work. These are the conditions of God's promise. Seems totally straightforward, right? God's going to give them food every day under these conditions. So Moses and Aaron said to all the Israelites, In the evening you will know that it was the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, and in the morning you will see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard your grumbling against him. Who are we that you should grumble against us? In other words, Moses saying, You thought you were grumbling against us, but you're actually grumbling against God. Moses also said, You will know that it was the Lord when he gives you meat to eat in the evening and all the bread you want in the morning, because he has heard your grumbling against him. Who are we? You're not grumbling against us, but against the Lord. Then Moses told Aaron, Say to the entire Israelite community, Come before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. While Aaron was speaking to the whole Israelite community, they looked toward the desert, and there was, there was the glory of the Lord appearing in the cloud. And the Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the Israelites. Tell them, at twilight you will eat meat, and in the morning you will be filled with bread. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God. That evening quail came and covered the camp, and in the morning there was a layer of dew around the camp. When the dew was gone, thin flakes, flakes like frost, uh, they were frosted flakes, Thin flakes like frost on the ground appeared on the desert floor. When the Israelites saw it, they said to each other, What is it? For they did not know what it was. Moses said to them, It is the bread the Lord gave you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Each one is to gather as much as he needs. Take an omer for each person you have in your tent. And the Israelites did as they were told. Some gathered much, some gathered little. And when they measured it by the omer, he who gathered much did not have too much, and he who gathered little did not have too little. Each one gathered as much as he needed. This is a working plan, isn't it? It's working. God is fulfilling his promise. They're responding according to his condition, and it's working. Then Moses said to them, No one is to keep any of it until morning. Verse 20, However... However, some of them paid no attention to Moses. They kept part of it until morning, but it was full of maggots and began to smell. So Moses was angry with them. Each morning, everyone gathered as much as he needed, and when the sun grew hot, it melted away. Could it be any more obvious? Well, what an amazing thing to begin with, right? The Israelites, who were an agrarian people, were moving around. The bit about the glory of the Lord, as the Shekinah glory of the Lord moved, so they moved. That's when they knew when it was time to go. There was no time for planting. There was no time for harvesting. There was no way to store everything they had. They took on their backs, and they became hungry. And they grumbled, and God answered and said, Every day I'll feed you. Every single day I will feed you. Condi- Here is the condition. Just pick up as much as you need. And trust me for tomorrow. Pick up as much as you need and trust me for tomorrow. 
Those who did so ate every day. Those who said, no, I don't think he knows what he's doing, ended up with maggots. Seems like such a clear choice. Manna, which is the Hebrew word for what is it, right? They looked at it and they said, what is it, which is manna, which is why it was called manna. They could have manna or they could have maggots. Seems like a clear choice. Who wouldn't accept God's offer of rescue based on those terms? Some did. Some did not. Hmm. It's part of the fallen nature to rebel against God, even when he's clear. Hello? It is part of our fallen nature to rebel against the clear direction of God, no matter how clear. There's something inside of us, isn't there, that says, no, I'm not doing that. I'm not doing that. That's part of the human condition. The Bible is rich with conditional promises. Let's go through a few of them. Psalm 37, 4 says, Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. That's a conditional offer of, of life, isn't it? Delight yourself in the Lord if... We delight ourselves in the Lord, then he will give us the desires of our hearts. Now, it's really important that we delight ourselves in the Lord, because as we delight ourselves in the Lord, what happens to our hearts? They become his. As we delight ourselves in the Lord, have you noticed how much your desires change? If we delight ourselves in the Lord, he will give us the desire of our hearts as he conditions the desire of our hearts. Some of you will do this and some of you will not. Some of you will have manna, some of you will have maggots. That's the human condition. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Let's read it together. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not to your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. This is another conditional promise, isn't it? That if we trust in the Lord, if we trust in the Lord and lean not to our own understanding, even when our understanding is at odds with the Bible, we live in this culture where the culture is saying, no, it's this way, it's this way, it's this way, and we, and we, and we get... We get immersed in that, don't we? And so then when the Bible comes along and says, no, it's quite this way, we have a choice. Are we going to trust in the Lord with all of our heart and lean not to our own understanding? Or are we going to say, well, there must be something wrong with this thing. It was written so long ago, after all. Well, there's the conditional promise. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, not to your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. He will make your path straight. Some of you are going to do that. You're going to have manna. Some of you won't. You're going to have maggots. Have you ever heard of John 3.16? For God so loved the world, right? That he gave his only son. Let's read it. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. Now, as I said, 
The love of God is unconditional. He loved the world regardless of anything so much that he gave his son for everyone so that if a person believes, then they will not perish, but they'll have everlasting life. It's still a conditional situation in terms of the promise, in terms of the effect of eternal life for us. He gave his son unconditionally, and the condition of eternal life is if we believe. 2 Corinthians 5.17, which we'll be talking about this afternoon in a high school group, says, if any man be in Christ... He's a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. There's another conditional promise that if we will make our way into Christ, that's salvation, if we will, as Jesus said, abide in Christ, if you're in Christ, not just check off the box, yes, I want to go to heaven when I die, but moving into relationship with Christ, if any man be in Christ, He's a new creation. The old's gone. There's no old. I'm 105. (laughs) Not really. There's no old here. There's no old there. The new has come. If we're in Christ. If we're not in Christ, we're dragging around the old sin baggage that we've been accumulating for however many years trips you've made around the sun, right? Jesus said in John 13, 35, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if you have what? Wait a second. I thought they'd know that I'm a disciple if I go to church, carry a Bible to work, open her flat up on there and read it with a scornful look on my face as people walk by. You know, I think it's great, obviously, to memorize scriptures that we can use in an evangelistic situation. Of course, I believe that. I believe it's important for us to think about strategies, ways that we we can help a situation be turned to Christ, you know, in a conversation. I think all that stuff's really important. But at the end of the day, it's right here, isn't it? If you want to lead somebody to Christ, what do you do? Do you judge them? Do you scorn them? Do you exclude them? If you want to lead somebody to Christ, what do you do? You've got to love them. I know that's complicated. I get that. But there it is. And the Bible says that if we'll love, then our, our, our witness will be as manna to people. And if we don't, our testimony will be riddled with maggots. It's about that. Oh, yeah, now for one that so many American believers love to hate, Malachi 3. The Bible says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough for it. That's the one Americans love to hate. 
It's a touchy subject to talk about this, not because we don't have enough money, but because we have so much greed. But there it is, hello? If you read on, it says it real clearly. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops. That sounds like maggots. And the vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it's ripe, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. Such a touchy subject. What is tithing? Some of you are like, what even is that? Tithing is the practice of giving 10% of our income to the work of the Lord. This is bring the whole tithe, not nine, not eight, not one percent. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. This is the storehouse that there may be food in my house, food for what we do here, food for what we do around the world. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse and see if there won't be such a blessing. So he's saying, if we bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, then I will throw open the floodgates of heaven so that you won't have ways to contain what it is I want to give to you. Now when I was reading the passage from Exodus chapter 16... How many of you were saying in your heads something negative about those greedy people who had gathered too much? Those greedy people. It was so clear. God said, do this, then it'll work out. But some people were greedy, and they said, no, I'm going to keep this for myself. Nobody else looking out for me. I'm going to hold that right here. That's so stupid. Why would they do that? Why would Adam and Eve... The one tree they weren't supposed to eat. The one thing. And we go, how could they even do it? It's so obvious. And then we roll up to this one and we go, yeah, but you know what? I got bills. My cable bill just shut up, dude. There are three things that I love about this particular promise. One, it's clearly the Lord speaking. In, three, in, in 10, 11, and 12, Malachi 3, 10, 11, and 12, it says, thus says the Lord Almighty three times. So this is God. This is God. <laughs> Attention, this is the captain speaking. I love it that it's God. I love it that it's about manna and maggots. <laughs> it's the same promise, isn't it? It's the exact same promise. That if, if we do it his way, he'll always provide for us. Manna or maggots. But the one thing I really love about this verse is it's so objective. I love it that a tithe means tenth. Don't you? First of all, the math is so easy. It's just rolling the decimal point over one spot, right? That is, aren't you glad it wasn't an eighth or a twelfth or something? 
You'd have to have some algorithm to figure it out. It's so objective. And and another thing about its objectivity of tithing is I know when I'm doing it. I mean, you know when you pray, you wonder, I wonder if I'm praying enough. You know when you share your faith, I wonder if I'm, if I'm witnessing enough. You know when you serve, I wonder if I'm serving enough. You never have to wonder when you're giving enough. It's right there. You can calculate it. To the penny, if you like. But it's a clearly conditional promise. There are so many of you who are resisting this teaching right now. If you could only see some of your faces. Oh, my gosh. There are some of you going, ah, oh, whatever, man. Back off. Here's the thing. You know, Rob and I, we just live to tell you what the Bible says. That's what we do. That is our job, is to tell you what the Bible says. And some of you are resisting it, and some of you are resisting it with this argument. I heard that tithing is an Old Testament law and that we don't have to do it anymore. Let me save you the email, okay? Listen. First of all, tithing was an Old Testament law, but there's something that you need to know about it. That first of all, it was pre-law. It came before the law. Tithing was not Moses' idea. Abraham is the one who started tithing. He had just defeated the Kedorlaomer and the allied kings in a battle, and the priest of Salem, Shalom, the priest of peace, the priest of the precursor, the place of that would become Jerusalem, the Jerusalem, that place, the priest of that place came out, and uh, Abraham bowed down before him, And among the things that he did, he gave him a tenth of everything that he had. It's right there. It's right, look it up. It's in Genesis chapter 14, verse 20. It's right there. So you you can't make the argument about law because, first of all, the concept was pre-law. And then Jesus insisted on it post-law. So that in Matthew chapter 23, verse 23, where people were saying, well, what about this tenth thing? And he was talking about these Pharisees who were tithing down to the last mint leaf so that they could check off the religious box, but they were so missing the point of the opportunity to be generous faithfully with 10% of our stuff, they were so missing the point that he said to them, you guys, you tithe to the last mint leaf. You count out 10 mint leaves and you give one. You tie, you tie to the last, but you have neglected the weightier matters of the law, like justice and mercy. And then he, but then he said, these you should have done without neglecting the tithing. He says, you can do both. You can live in grace and follow the clear conditions of God. You know, my motivation for teaching about tithing, which... Many of you know I try to do once a year, and we just don't talk about money around here, and I know you like that, and it's, it's great. It's part of what, who we want to be. I teach on this subject once a year, and last year I forgot, so it's been a couple of years, and I'm definitely not one of those preachers that's talking to you about money all the time, right? 
Um, but my motivation for tithing is never about money. My motivation for teaching on tithing is never about money. I, I don't get paid on commission. And I, I think it's pretty obvious if you've been here, I'm not ambitious. I work hard, but I'm not ambitious. I don't have ambitions to create some big sanctuary and multiply this and that. And You know me, right? I hope I can finish out my time without having to build anything else, all right? <laughs> my motivation for teaching on the subject of tithing is never about money. It's about obedience. It's about obedience. It's about preaching to you the whole counsel of Scripture so that you can live with manna and not maggots. It is a clear, conditional promise of the Lord. And the love of God is unconditional. He loves us whether we tithe or not. He loves us whether we read our Bibles or not. <laughs> he loves us unconditionally. But his hand is outstretched to us in all of these offers of these conditional promises. The love of God is unconditional, but many of the promises of God are so conditional. And some of you may be struggling with this, saying, well, I don't like that side of God. Well, there you go. Proverbs 14, 12 says there's a way that seems right to a man, but in the end it leads to death. So you're saying, well, what seems right to me is that God shouldn't be that way. Well, follow that path to death. Because that's not what the Bible says, right? There you go. I'm just warning you. How can this be that God puts conditions on his promises? Well, it's because he's a perfect father, I'm an imperfect father, and I do it. I love my kids unconditionally, and all that I have is theirs. But they have to come get it, right? <laughs> I'm not going to deliver it to their house. There's no condition on my love for any of them. He's a perfect father. And I just want you to understand this, that meeting the conditions of God's promises is simply accepting his hand of rescue. We're not earning his favor. He's not saying, well, if you tithe, I'll really bless you because you've earned your way into my favor. He's saying, you got money. You typically screw it up. Let me help you. That's what he's saying. Left to yourself, you're going to buy maggots. You're going to get online and you're going to find maggots. You know what I'm talking about. Here's my hand of rescue. Give me my tenth back and you'll be taking my hand. I have two closing words of exhortation from the Holy Spirit. I believe, obviously, that could be subjective. And the first one is simply this. Guys, choose life. Choose life. 
In Deuteronomy 30, verses 19 and 20, the Bible says, This day I call heaven and earth as witnesses against you, that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life, so that you and your children may live, and that you may love the Lord your God, listen to his voice, and hold fast to him. That's Bible. So in these conditional promises I've been laying out to you, all of them, it's your opportunity to choose life, to accept his hand. And then the second word of exhortation this morning is don't settle for the stirring. Don't, 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 don't settle for the stirring. You know how you come to church and you, sometimes you get stirred? And sometimes you can actually become addicted to the stirring and think that's, that's the end of the matter. I got the stirring. Wow, man, I was stirred. I'm not going to do anything about it, but I stirred, dude. Oh, you should go to the vineyard. You get stirred. And then what? <laughs> Why is God stirring us, right? <laughs> stirring is the invitation of the Holy Spirit saying, come on. Saying, come on up here. Come on up here. Any of the conditional promises. He's saying, come on up here. But don't settle for the stirring. Okay. What I'd like to ask you to do this morning is I would like for you to look at these conditional promises and think about these conditional promises and ask yourself, which ones of these promises, and maybe others that occur to you, there are hundreds, literally hundreds of them in the Bible, which ones of these conditional promises of God am I a beneficiary of? That because I'm accepting the conditions, I'm eating manna. It's manna tonight, honey. And then which ones? Which ones am I settling for the maggots? Which ones am I going, I hear what you're saying, but I'm not doing it. I'm not going to do it. That's, how, how could that be anything but the sin man in us resisting God, right? I don't care how much money you give. I really don't. I think it'd be great if everybody stopped giving so I got fired, I could get a real job, Right? It'd be fantastic. <laughs> I only care because of the matter of obedience in your life. Would you just consider the power of these conditional promises? Lord, we want to make decisions this morning. We don't want to simply settle for this, uh, this thing that we do love it, Lord, when we're stirred because... It just helps us to know you're really here. It's deeper than anything a man or a woman could do to us that the words of a person could do. There's something deeper going on here. And Lord, however well or poorly I've said these things from the Bible today, I pray that the words are carried to that heart place in every person. Lord, I, you know it's not about the money. I don't care. Uh, I really don't. I don't think about it. You know that, Lord. I don't even think about it. And, uh, and you know, I'm grateful. Oh, I'm so grateful for these people, Lord, and their generosity, their excessive, extravagant generosity. I'm thankful for those who have found their way into the fulfillment of this promise. And God, I'm thankful for how Karen and I are living on the backside of that promise and that the boundary lines have fallen for us in pleasant places, Lord. Thank you for all those years that in a house full of kids and stuff, we 
we just always move the decimal point and, and, you, and you filled this promise. So Lord, I, I thank you for this and I just pray now in our time together your Holy Spirit will come and, and uh, engage us in a decision-making process, Lord. We're going to need your help, Lord, because we freely know that at the core of our being is this heart of rebellion. We just don't want to do what you say, Lord. But, but when we see your face, Lord, when we see your hand, at least your hand, your hand extended to us, Lord, then we know. Holy Spirit, come into this house today for your honor and your glory. In the name of Jesus, amen. Church, I would like to invite you to stand with me now, please, and love it if some prayer ministry people would come on up over to the sides and make yourself available to pray for people, whatever you might want prayed for.